KYW Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. I spent eight years in uniform, I guess, seven or eight years here first. That's when you really, you know, learn. When I was a young officer, we had a robbery at a 7-Eleven, you know, you're young, and we were chasing a guy on foot, and we got him, and he was sawed off, and... I remember after we got him and it was loaded and the bullets were like huge and I was thinking, holy moly. Bit some bank robbers. And our guest this week is the head coach and general manager of the National Lacrosse League's Philadelphia Wings, Paul Day. Paul, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. I'm pretty excited to be on a podcast. So I spent a lot of time listening to sports podcasts. So it's uh, really thanks for having me on. And we appreciate it. I mean, this is the grind of the season. Uh... How much fun, as we're talking here in mid-January, uh, has year two of the Wings been for you? It's been real fun. It's a real good group of guys. Same as last year, a good group of guys, and we've added a lot of depth, but it's been fun. I mean, we've been on the road a lot, so we, we're we finally getting here for a couple weeks in a row, which is is great. It's a great environment in Philadelphia, and it's funny, you know, I'm a retired police officer, so when you say the grind, the grind used to be for me, you know. Monday to Friday to lacrosse at 5.30 in the morning, do video before I go to work, video after, try to stick some family time in there, plus, you know, do a, a good job as a police officer. So this this isn't a grind for me. <laughs> you know, I fly in and uh, I do lacrosse all week, take care of the family, and and really it's, uh, yeah, I'm pretty blessed to, to be able to, to do this in Philadelphia. I want to talk about your, your life with police, but what's your earliest memory of lacrosse? When do you remember your first uh, intersection with the sport? Yeah, probably just playing myself. My brothers both played. Uh, my one oldest brother is a hockey player. He only played a few years and gave it up, and he's seven years older than me. And my oldest, my next oldest brother, I'm the f- uh, family of five. He's four years old, so four years older. So I played with them uh, in the yard, and then started playing when I was three. So. Uh, I'll be 52 this summer, so almost 50 years. But uh, that's my first memory of lacrosse is playing in the yard with them and then actually you know, playing as a three- or four-year-old. I don't remember that, but I remember playing in the yard um, just like I play with my kid now. And you are from Canada. Yes. So we all know hockey in Canada. At that time, where was lacrosse? As far as in the national consciousness, uh, as opposed to hockey, so lacrosse is a lot older sport um, than hockey. You know, at one time, not too long ago, you know, growing up uh, Peterborough, Ontario, not far, you know, hour and a half from Toronto, northeast. Uh, it's a huge hockey town, so I played hockey with the same guys I played lacrosse with, and uh, very successful city hockey and lacrosse. Peterborough Pizza there. Um, you know, I grew up playing hot lacrosse against Brennan Shannon, president of the Leafs. Played hockey against him too. Uh, Joe Neuendijk was the best player. Everybody knows Paul and Gary Gates, so we were all around the same age. And Joe was the best lacrosse player in Canada in the mid-80s when he was going to Cornell. He was fantastic. So at one point, uh, lacrosse was the national sport of Canada, you know, until I think the 80s. Then it became the national sport for summer, and hockey became the national sport. So, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's come a long way. Um, I think the field lacrosse game in the U.S. has really helped grow our game in Canada. Uh, my little guy starts field lacrosse in April, I think a couple weeks after his hockey season starts, and then he goes into box in the summer. So, 
everybody plays a lot of both now and uh but growing up it was uh huge in the summertime and hockey was huge in the winter when did you start to realize you were pretty good that lacrosse was something that uh might be a part of your life past just you know childhood high school whatever. yeah you know late high school actually I was a football player in high school too i thought i was going to play College football in the U and sorry in Canada and uh, decided to I think as you get older football really takes a toll on your body and I remember when I was seventeen sixteen seventeen I was playing AAA hockey at the same time like midget hockey and I guess uh, I remember I had one hockey coach saying to me you know if lacrosse was you know you could make some big money in lacrosse you know obviously you're not good in hockey but. Uh, a lot of my friends played in the NHL, still involved in hockey, coaching in the NHL or referee, and some guys are still NHL referees. So I think, you know, you just were better at one than the other. And mm-hmm. uh, I loved all the sports. i got to admit, I still play pickup hockey. I really, really enjoy hockey. We play on a Friday night, and I get to go home, and, you know, I'll take my little guy. He's eight. He'll be nine in February to his hockey, uh, Saturdays and Sundays. And then this morning I was at a – 6 a.m. practice with him, you know, took him home off to school. He goes, and then, uh, you know, I jump on a plane here. But I'll like, if we're home on a Saturday night hockey night in Canada, I'll watch all of it. I just love it still. So, But, you know, I guess probably when I was 15, 16, that's when I thought I guess I'm going to be more involved in lacrosse. So what were the options at that point for lacrosse? What were you, what were you considering? So, what were you looking at? Yeah, so I went to Hobart College in Geneva, New York, uh, which was at the time a Division three program. It's Division one now. Uh, I always wanted to play. You know, college lacrosse. So I went there. I only went there for one year. My summer team uh, at the time, it's called Junior A Lacrosse, which is the same as Junior A Hockey. You play for the Minto Cup. So we went to four Minto Cups in a row, and uh, Hobart was tri-semester. So okay. I got home at like June 14th. So missed a full month of my season. And every year we played in the national championship, usually against Paul and Gary Gate, who were in Victoria. So East versus West. So I enjoyed my experience down there. And... Uh, but then I went back to school in Canada, I went to school in Ottawa, and uh, ended up becoming a cop. But uh, right from my first day as a rookie cop, I was playing in the National Lacrosse League. At the time, it was called the Major Indoor Lacrosse League mm-hmm. in Buffalo. So it was kind of a new league then, because I went to Hobart in 87, 88, and that was the first year of the, the now National Lacrosse League. So uh, there was some Canadian pro leagues. I played in those. I played in the summer. I played in Vancouver, which was great. I went out west. Worked at Stanley Park in Vancouver, British Columbia. It's a famous uh, park in the city if you've ever been there. Almost like Central Park in New York. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So I was a gardener there for a summer and played with John Tavares. We were both rookies. He's um, People know hockey. It's John Tavares' uncle. And he's arguably the best player that ever played in the National Lacrosse League, I would say, since he played till he was you know, 44 years old. So you mentioned being a cop. Was that always a goal as well, or was that something that, you know, you kind of get to a certain point in your life and you're like, uh, uh, this interests me? How'd you come into being police yeah, work? Actually, uh, my fourth year of university, I was teaching in grade seven, eight class. thought I wanted to be a teacher, um, but it was the same thing every day. So it was more of a volunteer position, and uh, I don't know if it was the age. I Probably if I would have went into high school, I might have stuck that, but uh, I just didn't see myself Going into that environment every day, it was the same thing over and over again. I was playing pro lacrosse in Canada, and I was going to university, and I was sharpening skates at a 
place in Peter Alfontaine's Port and Cycle. So I worked there through high school. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I came back and was going to school in Peterborough for my last year because I was playing pro lacrosse, um, a guy I used to play with, Scott Mahoney, he played uh, in Oshawa and he played for the Calgary Flames. He was in there the one day. He's my age, early 20s at the time, you know, 22. And I said, what are you doing here? He said, I'm playing a copter and I'm a cop now. And he was a third rounder to Calgary, I believe. And I said, what's that like? And I had thought about it before. My uncle was a cop in Peterborough. And uh, it's like being on a team. So that's kind of how it's all st- how it started. So I started to apply. So similar sports. I mean, it's like finishing my university degree. You apply to all these different services. So at the time, Peterborough, I applied. I applied in uh, Niagara, where I ended up working. Uh, Niagara, so it's Niagara Falls, St. Catharines. It's 12 communities to the border. They do Lake Ontario, Lake Erie, and the Buffalo-Niagara Falls border. So it was a great place to work, but it was like sports. It's like you're trying out for a team when mm-hmm. you're trying to be a cop. Then you're on the team. You make it. You go away to training camp, the academy, or we call it the Ontario Police College in Elmer. So everybody in Ontario goes to the same uh, police academy or police college, and uh, you train together, and you train the exact same way. So that's like training camp, and then you're a rookie. And at the same time, I was a rookie with the Buffalo Bandits, so it was kind of, uh, it was different, um, but it was exciting, and uh, I mean, I th- so much, so many similarities. You just, you know, you want, you got to fill a role. Coming as a rookie, you're filling a role as, you know, you you do whatever they say, and that's similar to sports. And then, you know, you kind of work your way up, and next thing you know, you're a veteran on your shift, and a couple years later, you're a detective, and. You know, you kind of progress from there. So it's a lot of similarities, um, and every day is completely different. So, And I had a long, a long career that was, you know, I liked pretty much every job I ever had except one, and that was the media officer. <laughs> 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 I did it for about five or six months when my little guy was born just because I needed a kind of a steady day job. Right. My wife, uh, she's a sergeant now in Niagara, but at the time um, she just had the baby and she was going back to uniform. So four on, four off, one of us. Had to kind of find that role of you know a regular day job plus on weekends I was still coaching in the National Crossing so I was still traveling so uh, yeah I had some great jobs it was it's a lot of fun and uh, some of the jobs if I stayed doing them I probably would have continued I would have worked here with the wings and probably been stayed with some of those jobs because they're so much fun yeah I saw on one article. I mentioned you're special, you specialize in street crime, intel, and recruiting. Is that pretty much yeah, so it, or is it different tracks at different times? Yeah, I mean, I spent eight years in uniform, I guess, seven or eight years you first. That's when you really, you know, learn how to be a cop. Right. And uh, a lot of guys and girls stay in that position because it's four on, four off, you go home, you're done. It's, you know, the most team environment. So that's the that's the most dangerous job, and that's the, the most – you know, I guess you could say exciting. So in my 20s, I did that. And then I went into street crime uh, for three years. So it's robberies, breaking enters, and drugs, which was, that's great because it's straight crime. And when you're, that's what you want when you're, you know, in your late 20s. So you kind of go to work and you hope there's a robbery and you can catch someone. So that, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. And then, you know, it's kind of uh, 9-11 hit and a lot of people got, a lot of places got funding for, extra people intelligence services. So I was not, I didn't even know what it was. I kind of knew what it was, but it was secret. So you didn't really know. 
So I got a call from a sergeant the one day and see if I was interested in, you know, coming up to intelligence. And I was just asking, what do you do? So it's wire projects and organized crime, obviously terrorism at the time. You name it, street gangs, all that stuff. So I think I went up there and uh, it worked a long time up there. And that was a lot of fun, you know, following people. You know, driving pickup trucks, a van, summertime wearing shorts and a t-shirt flip-flops. It's just, you blend in and no one ever sees you. And it's like the TV police. Because mm-hmm. real policing is paperwork and it's not what you see on TV. We are like the TV police. So, you know, a lot of things you work on for six months or a year and no one ever sees you. And then there's a kind of a huge takedown. But, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I would have stayed there for my whole career. But eventually they... They tell you you're out. So then I finished up in recruiting for four years. I was a sergeant in recruiting with a hiring. Again, back to sports. Right. You know, at the time, I'm coaching general manager in the league, and uh, it's really similar. I mean, what I did maybe different than in the past is I went to the a lot of the universities and tried to recruit varsity athletes because they understand the dedication, commitment, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, goals, tasks, roles. So a lot of – a lot of the men and women I hired were varsity athletes and, you know, successful. And I still talk to them. My wife works for the service. So that was a lot of fun to finish in that role. Um, and again, it was four 10-hour days. So you got to have a normal life and jump on a plane on Fridays and come back Sunday and, you know, have a little more time with the family during the week. So during your time as an officer with so many different, what was the, what's, what are one or two of the most intense moment you had as a police officer oh intense that you can share <laughs> yeah i mean i think uh oh when i was a young officer we had a robbery at a 7-eleven you know you're young and you're just i remember getting out of the cruiser and we were chasing a guy on foot and we got him and he had a i'm not a real gun guy um but i think it was a, a 308 and it was sawed off and it wasn't a 308 but the I remember after we got him and it was loaded and the bullets were like huge. And I was thinking, holy moly, like that. So, you know, in situations like that, you're just kind of reacting. Um, yeah, I mean, we had some bank robbers where we chased a guy one night. It was funny. It was a, it was called the Tilly Hat Bandit. So he'd done a, it was in the 90s. He was a, he was an actual president of a, of a pretty big company and, Everybody was downsizing. I don't even remember what year, maybe 94. And uh, so he was a businessman, but he pretended to go to keep go to work. And uh, he was a Tilly hat bandit because he wore a Tilly hat wherever he went in and robbed these banks across Ontario. So he was scoping out a TD bank, Toronto Dominion Bank, the one night. So it was basically just a prowler call, turned into a shooting. And uh, yeah, the... You know, we ended up arresting him in a schoolyard at night, but uh, the next morning they go into school. So there's like, they find bullet holes in the, in the classroom. So you don't even know he's right. We get him in a, in a schoolyard. He has no gun on him at the time we found the gun, but at some point he's probably shooting at us and we don't even know because it's winter time and you're chasing them. So, you know, situations like that. Um, when I was in Rochester, I'm going to say early 2000s when I was in street crime, late 90s. I, we had a robbery the one time, and they used to do a Wednesday weekly media call. So each team, whoever we're playing this week, we play uh, New York at home. So it would be Reggie Thorpe and myself on the call mm-hmm. with all the media. So 
they didn't have to call you individually, but we had a robber, bank robbery go down, and I'm like within minutes. And he was wearing a very special kind of uh, hunting suit. So I'm in the Canadian Tire right after because it's like a mile or less from where the robbery took place going through these hunting area to see if maybe bought it and we catch it on video. But I'm actually on the call with the media at the time. I'm doing two jobs, but <laughs> those situations happen all the time. Like you'd be having to do something lacrosse related when you're, you know, following someone. Yeah. I mean, it's uh every day was different, but you know, most of the, some of the most dangerous things are, uh, when you're in uniform, it is, mm-hmm. you know, those two things I just mentioned, like domestics, where you expect the unexpected. Yeah. And uh, just a traffic stop. Like, you know, one time early in the morning in a real nice neighborhood, a uh, guy in the shift, it's a stolen car. So he's following a stolen car, goes off of the neighborhood, and uh, no, nothing. You don't hear him. He's off with the car. Well, he pulled up, and the kid started kind of driving away in the car, put it in reverse, and went right through the house. But I came around the corner. I just see the kid running, but I don't see the car because it's through the house. So he's in bad shape. I don't even know. So I chase the kid, you know, get him. I'm young at the time. So I arrest him, and then I'm, you know, coming out. And there, at the end of the street, you see this uh, stolen van through the, you know, brick house. And it was, you know, he survived. Everything was good. But those situations, you don't even, even though you're chasing a guy, you don't even know right. that that first part of it happened. It's after the fact you put everything together. So. Yeah, I mean, every, I mean, a lot of fun too. Like, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, you, you're part of a team and I still, a couple of the guys that I went to the academy with, coffee with them a couple times a week, they're still working and, you know, we're all still good friends. So uh, it's so much like being on a team. It's, it's, the parallels are unbelievable. Was there ever any... Were the police always cool with you with the lacrosse or were there ever points where you thought uh, it might become a problem, you know, stuff like that? Uh, yeah, I th- very good with us because, you know, it's all about working in the community. I mean, right. You, you just look at the wings here and feel like it's our second year in the league, but our guys are out in the community all the time and that's your kind of support. So it's a pretty positive thing for the police service. So, um Right from day one, they were they were really good with, you know, I, it wasn't like they were giving me time off to do it. I was taking my, right. own, my own vacation time. Not once did they ever give me a minute off for free. So I remember I was, my last year playing in Canada in 1997, we were going to play in the Man Cup. So that's like the Stanley Cup of summer lacrosse. So I tried to get off a couple of days early. I take unpaid leave. I said, no, just too busy. Summertime, end of August, can't. So I had to, you know, they couldn't even give me that time, even though I was going to take it off with no pay. I wasn't even going to take my holiday time, but sometimes in that service, it's just so busy. So I flew out the day of game one and, uh, you know, played right away, which you like flying from, you know, New York to California and playing that night. So, I mean, they were really, really good with it, but also at the same time, you know, the commitment to the community is number one as a, as a police service. But then I got jobs, you know, working in intelligence. But some nights I remember I worked in Orlando in the National Lacrosse League. I'd fly home on a Sunday and go home, get in my work car, and go follow someone Sunday night. And that's that's the reality of it when you're working on a project with a team. But I loved both of those jobs, so I would have, you know, I'd do that today if I could. Do you ever look back at all and go, 
I don't know how I did that because I I know with my much less stressful jobs in radio and stuff. I used to work three jobs when I was starting out, and at the time you were just like, "This is just what I do," and I'm working towards a goal. I look back now and go, "I don't know how I did that." Do you have moments like that? Oh. Stuff like that you talk about getting off a plane and working a twelve hour like stuff like that. Yeah, I don't even remember a couple years of coaching. Uh, we were lucky in Rochester. We won in. 12, 13, and 14. That's the same time I went back to uniform. Was, so eventually they kick you out and you got to get promoted and they send you back. So a patrol sergeant and Ian Rubel, who's on our bench now, runs our defense. He was on my platoon in Niagara Falls. So fairly busy place. But I remember, it's funny, CBS Sports uh, would do our playoff game. So it's we're in the playoffs. So it's, you know, round one's one game, round two's a game round three. So we were lucky that they did the Eastern game and then the Western game. So the first game would be at, I think, 5 o'clock, the next game at at 7 o'clock. So I would drive. I would finish my shift nights, drive to Rochester. So from Niagara Falls, maybe an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sleep for a couple hours, get up, do video, go to shoot around, sleep. Go to the game, coach, we'd win, right back to Niagara Falls and work my second night shift. And then the next day, obviously, I had off, which was great because we worked two days, two nights, four off. So for three weeks in a row in 2013, I did that. And then we're going to the finals in Vancouver. And I was kind of excited we were on the road because I knew I didn't have to work the night shift, drive, right. and rinse and repeat. So I had to take a couple of days off and head to Vancouver and actually, and at the time I've got a two year old son. So my wife's working shifts and I would come home. Day shifts start at 4am for a sergeant. So I'd be up at three cause it's a half an hour drive from my house. And then I'd meet my wife. It was like a divorce, but we were like newly married, but I'd meet her in St. Catharines on the way home, pick the little guy up cause she's going in on nights. Right. And then get home and he'd be up till eight playing hockey with me. And I've been up since 3am. I was like, those two or three years were unbelievable. Not as on this plane as much because I live close to Rochester and mm-hmm. at the time, Buffalo and Toronto were in our division. So you get quite a few games you could drive to with the family. But yeah, those 12, 13, 14 were unbelievably difficult. But again, you know, difficult. My wife, uh, who's working shifts and then, well, I'm gone on the weekend. She's parenting, so right, and she's still doing that today. As a, she's sleeping right now, she worked nights last night, um, and then I took him to hockey, and she got home at four in the morning, and then I left the house at eight thirty to come here, and uh, you know she'll parent. She's back in on nights tonight, so you always look to family for a lot of help. That's for sure. When does coaching start to come into view? Did you always think? when you were done playing lacrosse that you would lead in that direction? Yeah, I think so. Even in high school, I uh, coached the girls high school hockey team with some teachers and yeah, you know, I would, most of the time I was captain of my teams growing up and uh, yeah, I mean, I think it just maybe probably thought the game more than the people I learned from in Peterborough. Like, so growing up there, uh, at the time, about 70,000 people. It's closer to 100,000 now, but guys play junior A. They coach the, you know, the nov- Tyke, Novice, Pee Wee, Bantam. So you have the, kind of the same system. So then obviously when I got to junior A, it already 
learn from all these players. So then it was my turn to start to coach. So, uh, you know, I guess I learned from some really good people that I'm still involved with. I run a, a team in Peterborough. I'm three hours away. It's called the Peterborough Lakers. Like, so the Peets are the junior hockey team, famous junior hockey team. They probably, you know, average maybe 2,000 a game. Well, in the summer we average close to 4,000 a night in lacrosse. That's It's a huge lacrosse right. town. So those guys that I learned from, they run that team. They're on the board of directors, and then I'm the general manager. So still to this day, I you know, I look up to all those guys that kind of taught me the game. So, yeah, I think it was always uh, – it's a funny – this is a funny league in the old days. You know, I only played in Buffalo for one year because we were allowed six Canadians. Philly was allowed three Canadians. Rochester was allowed. If you're a border town, you're allowed more because it was owned by two guys out of Kansas City, great guys. They started this league, uh, Chris Fritz and Russ Klein, and they had a heavy influence in Philly. So after my first year in the league, well, you know, you got 21 Canadians in the whole league. I'm 22, 23 years old, and I'm – Average at best as a Canadian. I'm not, you know, John Tavares and these guys. Mm-hmm. So they brought their guys in, and you know, I went to training camp for a couple of years, and then next thing you know, I'm like 26, and I'm offered assistant coaching job. I'm making like twice as much money as a player, and uh, I'm coaching guys that are all older than me. So up until about 10 years ago, everybody in the league, I was always my first head coaching job. I was 29, so most guys were my age that I played with or against. So um, it was a different league. I almost got put into it because of the way the work visas worked. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so I coached Junior A in St. Catharines when I was 23, 24, 25. So I was pretty young. And then I still was playing in Canada and I ended up playing with some guys I coached with. So, yeah, it was just kind of a natural – I always worked hockey schools growing up in Peterborough for money. In the summer times, I loved it. And it was always, I guess, just a natural progression. Was it difficult? And I guess you mentioned, you know, coaching the the team in high school and stuff like that. But at the pro level, when you're that young as a coach, is it difficult to break through when you're talking to guys that are your age, if not even younger, that you know are you're trying to, or older, I should say, that you're trying to to coach. I think the nice thing was that I played against most of them or with them. So, so you had street so you cred, have, for yeah, lack of a better term. Yeah, so you have that kind of, uh, you know, respect. But I think it all goes back to relationships, really. Like, even to this day, like, I'm a different coach than I was back there, back then, just because it's a different game. Uh, the game has really changed since uh, the 80s and 90s. But, you know, I've changed with them. But I think the relationships – even back then, that's the key is your relationships with uh, the players and, and other people, um, trainers, equipment guys. That's always remained the same. So, I mean, I think uh, it's a different sport too. I mean, I've never co- coached college, so I mean, that's a little different. I've coached junior lacrosse, which is, you know, college-age players. And, uh, you know, you might be a little more strict with them, but – at the end of the day, I was a player, and I understand you – I mean, it's all about that relationship. I mean, mm-hmm. if you if you like somebody, then you're going to play – you know, you're going to play more harder for them. It's just you – know, I want to treat people the way I'm treated. I mean, I'll, I'll more often than not probably give the team uh, 
you know, some some words, but individually it's that more of a quiet, you know, talk to them on their own. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's all really about relationship building. Time to take a break here on one-on-one. We will have more with Philadelphia Wings head coach Paul Day right after this. It's the smart look at the issues catching fire in Philadelphia. Flashpoint. What we have is a crisis. This goes way beyond just the perpetrator. You know how many times I had stopped people in front of my house from shooting up? It was a moment where black and brown people on the margins got to say, no, we've been hurting. I think we forget that you came from somewhere else, too. Host Cherry Gregg walks you through the flames on air Saturday evenings at 930 and Sunday mornings at 830. Or search the Flashpoint podcast on the radio.com app. And we are back. Our guest this week on one-on-one Philadelphia Wings head coach, Paul Day. So when you come here to Philadelphia, you're starting from scratch. You've got a great brand in the wings from the previous incarnation. And this was actually the second time you got the opportunity, if I'm correct, to build a team. Like when the the Edmonton rush, I guess in 06, you were same situation, head coach, GM, and you kind of starting with a, a clean slate. What The first time you get handed the opportunity to basically build a program. What was it like? Uh, it was different, I guess, because it was new. Yeah, there was no brand, but I think the ownership there, Bruce Urban and uh, his group, did a really good job with branding. And uh, he's a um, – he owns RV companies out in Western Canada. So new market, Edmonton, very, very new market to lacrosse and not a – and have a hot bed of lacrosse, but it is now. Like it's that really helped. Um, yeah, different. I mean, I think at the time, I'm not sure. It's funny. I always said this. I would have, if I did it again in Edmonton, I would bring some Americans. And I, that sounds funny coming, you know, being a Canadian market, but American players who haven't played box that are real good athletes, and let's say Rambo or Baptiste or Blaze for us, you know, and some other guys. Um, they're really good athletes. They're really good lacrosse players. They love the game. And I think their, you know, their ceiling to get better is immeasurable right, right. now. So in Alberta, you know, we took some kids from BC and Alberta that just hadn't had an opportunity to play in the National Lacrosse League. But they were, most of them were as good as they were going to get. So here, um, you know, we have the most Americans in the league, but um, it's just a it's a different opportunity to the, I think, the East Coast Canadian players. There's a lot more. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's very different than, than it was before. Um, but as far as branding, I mean, the, the Rush, he did a really good job with the organization, some great people there, and then, here, having the Flyers and Comcast behind us is, that's just, the infrastructure, that's the, the biggest thing. Like, if you're starting a pro sports team, like, before they hired me, they had business people in place. That's the key. I mean, that's the number one thing. And I was lucky. Here, I got, to, I had to, a full season to spend scouting and planning and getting what kind of team we wanted. In Alberta, you know, I finished in Rochester in June and hit training camp in October and you know, he didn't really have that full year to prepare, and I think that's key when teams are coming in. New York and Rochester, pretty much the same thing. They started in January last year for the new teams, uh, the Riptide and and the new Nighthawks. So and I think that's key. And 
you know, it might not show the first year, but I think the year I wasn't with the Wings, I spent the whole fall at the draft, the combine, and uh, training camps of other teams. So for us, Liam Burns was in Georgia at the time. Isaiah Davis Allen was in Georgia. And those guys, unfortunately, that year were late cuts, but they're a couple of the first free agents I called in the summer of 2018. And, I mean, they're big pieces of our team right now. Steph Charbonneau was in Calgary that year. He's drafted in the fifth round. And Liam Patton, two other guys that were on practice rosters or got cut, and they were, you know, two of the first Canadian free agents I called before August, like I could talk to them. So uh, Blaze was in Buffalo before, and he was released that year. So I had talked to him, you know, before August 1st. They are all street free agents and said, hey, listen, there's going to be an opportunity. So it worked out well that you have that year to prepare. So it's, it's kind of paying dividends right now. So when you start the, the gig in Edmonton, had you had any like front office GM experience? Yeah, basically in uh, 1998, I uh, became the head coach in Rochester. And mm-hmm. then, uh, Does it kind of go hat in hand or yeah, hand in hand? at the time, you know, there was, I think I had one assistant coach and then Jody Gage, who's uh, a famous hockey player in Rochester. Uh, he was the general manager of the hockey team and the lacrosse team. Well, other than watching the Nighthawks at the time, no lacrosse experience. Mm-hmm. I ran every draft and free agency and everything, and we worked together for well, probably 11 or 12 years. He was here last week. He's still working with Rochester, but great hockey guy, and he learned the lacrosse business too. But at the time, I mean, I'm 29, and everybody we draft is uh, guys I've known since they were 12 years old, so... That was my front office experience, plus signing guys to contracts at the time. You're the coach and then the assistant general manager, but uh, I think for the first several years, I mean, he's running an American Hockey League team, playing 80 games, so mm-hmm. I had a fax machine in my house at the time, <laughs> and I was doing all the contracts and scheduling and everything, and then the Amherst office was uh, you know, heavily involved in our travel and stuff, and it was a great partnership too. I mean, at the time... There's the Rochester Amherst, the Nighthawks. They had the Rochester um, Rhinos A-League soccer, right? which was getting 10,000, 12,000 a night. We were drawing really well, plus uh, the Rochester Rattlers in the Major Lacrosse League. So quite a bit of, I guess, front office experience. And uh, by 2005 was my last year in Rochester. Um, yeah, I was ready to, to go out. Obviously, made several mistakes, but... Uh, Still friends with a lot of people in Edmonton. Guys I worked with there, fantastic people. And I hope they get a franchise back there with the Oilers behind them because with Calgary and Edmonton, that's an unbelievable rivalry. How difficult is it when you're head coach, GM, assistant coach, assistant GM? Is the juggling match of, you know, you've got to coach a, coach a guy, you want a guy to get better, and also dealing with, the business side and the cold hard numbers and, and stuff like that. Is it a difficult dance at all or do they kind of complement each other more than you think? Uh, I think guys want to play. Um, and I think we're lucky still. We're probably like the 50s for the NFL and the 50s like the NHL. Those are the games, you know, the sports I you know love. And uh, they've got their day jobs and we've got a, you know, a cap every year. So guys – 
I think guys know where they kind of fit in in the cap. And uh, the biggest thing in the National Cross League, and this is coming in to Philly, was one of our goals was the environment. I mean, in Philadelphia, our guys are treated like gold. And uh, um, I think they do such a good job in the community. And uh, we want to make sure that people want to come to Philly. And uh, you know, we had great free agent signings this year. Corey Vitarelli from Rochester, who, you know, I played for his dad. I've coached him for years. Ian Lord, who was an original draft pick here. Kevin Buchanan, who's been here before. So, you know, uh, uh, Braden, uh, Brandon Miller, or one of our goalies, been here before. So it was very important the first year about the how you're treated. It's not everybody goes home and cashes their check. and mm-hmm. You know, depending on the state you're in, you pay more tax, but the end of the day, they're all making kind of the same money. It's how they're treated, um, the environment. And I think that's the biggest thing in the National Cross League. And from day one with the Flyers and Comcast, that was, that was evident. And it spread around the, the league like wildfire last, last year that guys really enjoyed it here. And, you know, they enjoy the hotels, the travel, make sure everything's, you know, we've got unbelievable training staff, uh, Kyle Miller and Chip, and then equipment. Uh, Anthony Stranix has been with, he was with the Flyers growing up, his brother still is, his dad was. So to have that kind of professional environment was was huge. So sometimes that's more important. He's going to make, you know, $22,000 here or he's going to make 24000 in another place and not get treated as great and have to travel across the country. Then hopefully they're going to come here and we'll have more success. So talk to me. We've You've kind of talked about some of the things about Philadelphia. How does the opportunity with the wings come to your attention? Do you get a call saying, hey, this is something, or do you hear about it and say, that's something I might be interested in? Yeah, I was actually in Nashville. Um, our season had ended, and uh, I got a call from someone just said, hey, the Flyers want to talk to you about uh, an opportunity in Philadelphia. So, And I wasn't actually looking to retire at that time because I just, I wasn't even 49 yet, so... For us, the big age is 50 with the police service. So um, our old owner in Rochester, Kurt Stiers, he, uh, they moved to Halifax, but great owner. And I used to fly, you know, we'd have some private planes and whatnot on back-to-backs. Like he was great owner, loves the game. And uh, we used to talk and I just say, you know, I want to, when I retire, I want to get my own team back. So lucky enough to talk to him and uh, said there might be an opportunity and, uh, I came down in August. It's funny because summer lacrosse is like we play the playoffs are four to seven series. So we had one in 2017 in Vancouver, won the Man Cup. That was our first one since 2012. And then 2018, we're playing in the playoffs. I think it was the first round, and uh, we had lost the night before at home. And then I uh, jumped, you know, four o'clock in the morning, head to the airport in Toronto. I don't even remember that flight and uh, already got a suit on and I come to Philly, get picked up uh, at the airport and it's just in and out pretty much the next day. But, you know, I, my friend had played for the Flyers, so I'd spent a, ton, a lot of time in Philly in the eight, late eighties, early nineties. I was just, you know, and played here. I played the spectrum coached here. It was just a fantastic market. And uh, I remember, uh, you know, I, Someone takes me upstairs to the meeting room and 
I met Sean Tilger at the time, and uh, then Paul Holmgren comes in. And I know who Paul is. Like, I'm a hockey guy. So I'm, I probably had met him maybe when I was in my late teens, early 20s when my friend was playing for him, but not really. So spent the day with him. I had a PowerPoint presentation about, you know, culture and how the league's looking, expansion, everything. And uh, um, that was, I think, in August. Um, and then they had to go through their due diligence and interview other people. And uh, But, I mean, I, I think I went to the practice facility the next day and I just thought it was a great opportunity. And uh, I uh, so I got the call, I think, in May, May or June in Nashville. And then, uh, you know, fast forward two months, I come and, uh, in the meantime, I actually retired August the 1st, I think. I mean, no, it wasn't until October. It wasn't until October, sorry. So the opportunity came up, and uh, I pretty much started working that fall, and I spent September, once the Man Cup finished, so we went to the final in Peterborough, and we won. And uh, that finished. I went to everybody's training camp, was scouting, went to the draft. Um Funny, I wasn't really even employed by them because contract didn't start till January, which was fine because I just had had retired. I I kind of worked for free for about three months because I didn't want, I couldn't get any, I didn't want money because I didn't. It's Canada, we're getting taxed like on right. everything. So <laughs> I'm like, hey, listen, I I don't. There's like contract can't start till January. I'm like, no problem. I don't want to get paid. So I did the first three months just traveling, going to camp, and which is great. I brought my little guy to you know training camps and we watch games and. You know, at the time, he's probably six. He loves it. So, uh, yeah, I think we talked about it before. Growing up in Peter Reister, I ride my bike to the, the library and watch the the old 8-millimeter uh, tapes on uh, the old wings in the 70s. And those are guys from my neighborhood. And those are the guys that run the team in Peter, a lot of them still. So I still see those guys. Carm Collins was my favorite player growing up, even though I was really young. I mean, I had other favorite players, but... He was a captain of the wings, and he was just vicious. And uh, I, you know, I still see him weekly in the summer, even though I don't live there. Every Thursday, he's at our games, and you know, he was a captain of that team too. So, yeah, it was a unique opportunity. My wife loves it here, and we, uh, my little guy, last time we were leaving, because I mean, we have a life still there, right? She's working, and my little guy goes to school. He's like, when can we move to Philly? So, it was a unique opportunity. I think if I didn't have the experience of you know, being here with my friend playing for the Flyers and meeting the people. And it's the same kind of environment that we wanted to build. And it's the same environment. I mean, I don't want to speak for the hockey team, but, you know, we're around and we see them. And it's just, a, it's a, I think it's always been that, right from Mr. Snyder down, it's always been that kind of family environment. So when you're building, when you start looking at the landscape of players available, where are you starting? Well, I think we talked about it before. Guys that had I watched in camp who had some experience in the league. Guys, some of those the American guys are in the major. You know, they're playing the MLL, but they also went up to Canada and played a summer of box in our league, which is great. So some of those guys, Liam Burns, um, Adam Osika, he used to be here before. Um, guys like that, and obviously some Canadian guys. But um, you know, free agency this year was better than the free agency the year we came in. Um, and I think that's just from relationships, guys that I had coached before that, whether it was with Team Canada or 
in the summer or pro guys I'd coached before were going to be free agents. So, uh, but the first year, yeah, you know, a guy like Rambo, I remember watching him, and he got drafted that year by New England. I always watched him. Thought lefty for one, not a lot of American lefties. I think we have them all on our team, <laughs> and uh, he was a guy that played like a box guy to me. So I mean, he was. So I remember calling him. I was in Philly the summer of 2018 and uh, just called him up and said, hey, what do you think about expansion drafts coming up? We're thinking about picking you. And what do you think about uh, playing? He's like, I'd love to play here. It's my hometown. And he was like off the charts excited. So, I mean, we picked him, I think, in the 11th pick overall or our 11th pick in the expansion draft. So it wasn't like he was a first rounder, but. It's turned out well. So guys like that, um, I think you get lucky as well. My first conversation with Trevor, I knew guys, uh, well, I coached his coach at Denver, uh, John Orson, played in Orlando for us, guy from Long Island who was an unbelievable box player. And uh, we wanted him to come up to Canada to play. And I talked to him and I talked to Trevor. My first phone call with Trevor was like, family's in New Jersey. This is Trevor Baptiste. Trevor Baptiste. And he played at Denver for for Orson. He's like, oh, I'd love to play in Philly, and my family's not far away. So, And he was playing some box with Team USA Plus. He was playing with uh, the U.S. box, like the college league in Denver. So a little bit of experience, but again, excited off the charts to, to be involved. And I think that's, that's as important as the talent. So those are some of the guys we were looking at, and uh, – but, you know, my friends, it's funny, we had just had a game with Rochester here, and it was, you know, physical and lots of fights and all that. Those are my friends that run that team, but that's just the nature of the game. Mm-hmm. They're on a back-to-back, we're on a back-to-back. Well, year two, we have depth. Year one, it's extremely difficult to have that depth. And uh, so I had to talk to them briefly about that. And, you, you know, you, you just kind of build. And for me, we looked at young guys. So we did a – I spent some time – looking at all the championship teams over the last 10 years. And, you know, they're always in that 26 to 28-year-old range. So we started looking at, you know, 22, 23, 24-year-old guys that we could build with. And that's really, right now we have one defenseman that is over 26 years old. That's Ian Lord, you know, 33, 34-year-old free agent. Everybody else is 26 and under. And our offense, you know, Baptiste, Courier, Rambo, um, you know, they're all – early 20s as well, you know, 25 and under. So just kind of looked at ages as well. And uh, the hardest one's goaltending. Mm-hmm. As this city would know in hockey, it's just. Ain't that the truth. Really, really hard. And we went with two young guys and, you know, there was some free agent goaltenders the year we came in. And I spent a lot of time and I'm, you know, associated in the summer lacrosse with some of them and Spent a lot of time trying to convince them to come to an expansion team, but it's pretty difficult. So this summer we got lucky and, you know, I was able to make a trade and sign Brandon Miller and Zach Higgins has been one of the best goalies in the league. And just a guy I knew from the summertime that actually had never spoken to him before, but play against him. But he was a starter when he was 24, 25 in this league and then kind of became a backup, but he's a starter in the summertime and it was just the right opportunity for him. And, uh, you know, it's worked out well, but goaltending, I mean, if you could start a team with a goalie, I like at Vegas in hockey. Right. Like, yeah, that wasn't. Makes everything else a little easier. <laughs> yeah. That was, wasn't an option for us. There wasn't a, you know, a goaltender like that available. So, but, uh, you know, I think we, one of the first things we 
wanted to build was something that was authentic and sustainable, like something that, you know, we could have spent a whole bunch of money on older guys and they wouldn't be here this year and we'd be struggling and next year would be, but hey, we've got two first round picks in 2021. We've got a first rounder this year in 2020 and Jordan Hall signed in Georgia. So the way the free agency works is if he has a really good year, we could end up with a late first rounder. So we could have two good picks going forward and that also gives us come out, you know, some equity to to trade if if uh, if we need something this year. So we built it slow, but I think that's one of the keys. I think an awful lot of people who follow sports would love to get the opportunity yeah. to build a team, and I'm just talking fans. Yeah, absolutely. Build a team from scratch. How cool is it? How much fun is it to kind of know that you planted the seeds of this and to to watch it come together? Stressful. <laughs> Especially year one, very stressful. Um, that being said, the having the infrastructure here is huge. So that was, you know, that was big. Having the support. Um, I mean, I know what I'm doing lacrosse-wise, but. You know, guys have bad days, bad injuries. This last year, we had five season-ending injuries. So, you know, we lost eight games by a combined twelve goals. So, um, stressful, but I think, yeah, maybe being a little older, not being thirty-five, being you know fifty years old, forty-nine. I've got lots of experience, and uh, you know, really like the coaches we brought. Tracy Kluski was played here his, his last year before he retired. He's a Hall of Famer, and then Ian Rubel. Uh, won a bunch of championships in Toronto in a really good environment. So really good people. And then that was the key with the players is bringing in really good people and watching those players grow as a group. Like I've said that before. I mean, I've been on two organizations where we've won three back-to-back, so or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. in Rochester and now in Peterborough. And those are great rooms, and this room is – very similar to that, just uh, maybe a little younger. So I think that was the key was to get good people, and I think that goes back to relationships. But, no, it's pretty cool right now. Stressful sometimes, but this year has been, been good so far, and uh, I'm enjoying it. I've enjoyed every minute of it. What is the favorite part of what you do? Is it game day? Is it the, the time you get to practice camp? Is it putting the puzzle of the roster together what if you had to rank it what would be at the top of the list for you training camp for sure this year uh we didn't have one last year and uh training camp was was great and you know what we had some up and downs like we you know beat new york we lost to rochester two expansion teams but um training camp just putting that in place so um i always spend a lot of time in the fall reading my our season ends you know mid-september and then i start to you know i read and then i try and talk to to you know other coaches or listen to podcasts i mean i got fired in edmonton in 07 07 i think oh, 06, 06, oh, 08 so i had a full year off basically so that was the middle of the season five six games in so all i did was go to other you know i either played with or coached all the guys in the league or they coached me so i just started going to their practices and their shoot arounds and trying to learn know what they did to be successful so i mean i think that 
that's my probably my favorite part, putting it together. But I'm every week I'm learning. Like I'm, I'm always trying to just learn, and I'm curious about. I think that's probably why I really like being a cop. Because I'm so curious. Like I'm, if someone says something right now, and well, what happened there? Or what's that all about? Then I'm going to go online. I'm going to look at it, or I'm going to read about it. And some of the best cops I've worked with were like that. So that's, I think, all of it. Um, but I, I enjoy the I enjoy the hands on. Is it tougher from a player standpoint when you're looking at guys? Is it hard to project guys who have only played field if they'll be good at the box game? Is it a night day difference as far as skill set that is essential, or is it a relatively easy transition? Because I would imagine you get a lot of guys that. Maybe they dabbled a little bit in a summer league or something in box, but for the most part have been playing the field game. I think it's difficult, uh, but we had real, we had great success in Rochester with, you know, we won our first championship in 97. We were allowed six Canadians. So we had six Canadians. We had, you know, upstate New York guys, Syracuse, Rochester, you know, water now, like tough guys. Um, they played at Syracuse, Nazareth, had real good success. Um, so I think I got to know early what type of player um, could translate. So I think it's easier for defensive players um, or midfielders that are physical. And, uh, you know, obviously, I don't want to say this isn't right, but if a guy plays field and he plays behind the net, he's at X all the time and um, is a feeder, it's sometimes not. Not going to translate. Mm-hmm. It is. It's difficult. But I think the big thing we always talked about was in Rochester and carried over here. The guys love the game. That's what they do. They're, they're lacrosse guys. Rambo's a lacrosse guy. Blaze is lacrosse. Trevor Baptiste lacrosse. That's their life is lacrosse. I think that's one of the key aspects. If their whole life is lacrosse, you know, they're not working on Wall Street. They just love lacrosse. It's a much easier transition. So. That's probably the number one thing we look at. Um, and, you know, we just talked about those three guys. Their body type is built for the indoor game. I mean, if you're 6'3 and 175 pounds, it doesn't translate well into getting cross-checked for 60 minutes. Right. So, I mean, they're short, stocky, run well, good athletes. and But it is difficult. I think it's it's a lot harder than you think. And final question. When... When will you feel like you have, I don't know how I want to put this, if you at, at the end of the day, what do you want people to think when they think Philadelphia Wings? Where will you go? I mean, obviously you want to win champ, but yeah. where will you feel like you, you know what, I've done my job, I've, I've done it well. What do you want people to think when they think Philadelphia Wings yeah, lacrosse? Yeah, I think when they come to any lacrosse game, I want people to, especially a box game, is, these guys are going to work hard. Everybody works hard, but they're going to work hard with a lot of excitement and they're going to play hard and they're going to play fast. They're going to be physical and they're going to entertain people. I think that's that's what box lacrosse is and that's what we're based on. I mean, we're um we're a big we're bigger this year, but we're a fast, physical, fun team to watch and that's that's what I want. I mean, that's Philadelphia sports like we're you know, we're going to punch you in the face and play really hard and that's that's our whole league, um, and I think 
people, you know, win or lose, when people come up to me after a game and say, hey, like, I just love watching your team play. That's that's my type of lacrosse, and that's uh, that's Philadelphia type of lacrosse. So I think we're we're getting there, and uh, obviously wins really help, but uh, that's the type of team we want to see in the National Cross League. Paul Day, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks, it was great. And that will do it for this week's episode. One on One is an original sports podcast from KYW News Radio. If you like this show and want to help us out, make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss an episode. And you can help more people find out about the podcast by finding the show on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at One on One Pod, and you can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon Ten Sixty. Like to thank Philadelphia Wings head coach Paul Day for being our guest this week. You can follow Day on Twitter at Coach Paul Day. My name is Matt Leon. Come back next week for another good conversation with someone you should know more about.